everyone, Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to this week's Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D people hang out. While you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future coffee chats. Today, the cool kids are tackling that oh-so-familiar situation of managers not wanting to or are unable to support learning initiatives. Now, we all know managers are the first line of defense between a learning initiative being successful or one that heads directly to the training graveyard, and we've all been there. So the big question on the table is, how can L&D better equip managers to support learning reinforcement for their people? So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, everyone, welcome to the Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. Today, we are talking about managers or supporting managers in the learning function. And one of the things that I have often come across when I used to work in the corporate world was knowing that you have that great program, you have that great training program, whether it's an onboarding program or sales or communication or what have you, people participate in it. Then they go back to their workplace and everybody's all excited. And then the manager goes, I don't care what they taught you in training. This is how we do it here. Does that sound familiar? I see nodding heads. Everybody is having that particular feeling. And so now how do we get around that? What are your experiences with this? Good experiences, bad experiences. Who's got a memorable moment in their head that they would like to share? So I attended this amazing course last year at Case Western Reserve in Cleveland, Ohio, and it was about appreciative inquiry. So talking about what people are doing right and focusing more on strengths and using that as a building block to move platforms forward. And I took so many notes and was so excited to get back and utilize it. The problem is that we're not necessarily set up that way. I think people were like, oh, that sounds really great, but, you know, how do we do that here? And not that people are opposed to looking at strengths and moving forward in that way. It's just that we aren't set up with that whole kind of appreciative inquiry type platform. So needless to say, it was disheartening. And I've been trying to figure out ways to incorporate it into different courses that I'm designing. But, you know, it's not that easy. So... Yeah, that sounds very familiar. And you touched, I think, on a couple of things where perhaps the learning doesn't match with, you know, maybe technical applications. Yep. But also not set up culturally. Yep. Those are big roadblocks. Anyone else got a similar experience? Corporate America, you know, it's fast, it's crazy, and not forgiving. And, you know, you can design these beautiful courses for people. And the manager in that department is going to say, "Uh uh-uh, this is taking too much time, get to the point, blah, 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 blah. So if you are designing for corporate America, you have to be very aware of the type of people that you're going to have to please. You may have the greatest course in the world, but if it doesn't fit into their time slot, forget it. Exactly. I think that that's such a great point. If you're familiar at all with Zig Ziglar, anybody do sales training Zig Ziglar? I think I gave away my age when I said that name, <laughs> but um, 
But Zig Ziglar used to say, you can have the best product in the world. If you can't sell it, you've still got it. And the same thing applies, I believe, to exactly what Michelle just said. We can have the greatest training in the world, but if you don't have Mm buy-in, we've still got it, right? It's collecting digital dust somewhere, right? And so now how to avoid that? So now how can we get managers on board? What can we do differently? Because typically we get the request from the business sponsor. That's usually the first step. Somebody comes knocking on the door saying that they want something. And let's assume that we have done our due diligence. Training in this particular case, maybe it's part of a larger, more holistic program, and that maybe it can do some good, right? So we've done our needs analysis and we're going to move forward. So we're going to make that assumption. So now, where is this falling off? If we've done a needs analysis and said, yes, this is going to be good for the organization, the business sponsor is requesting it. So where do we fall off the rails? Where is it then that we get those? I don't care what they taught you here, but this is how we do it here. There's clearly a gap. How do we bridge that gap? What I've found that works for me is I'll usually use a lot of change management. So I'll come in probably a good month, month and a half, get in and in a director meeting, try to get as high leadership as possible. But the people who are actually able to make <laughs> concrete changes and are not so high and, and disconnected. So I'll kind of give them my pitch. And then usually at the end of the training, whether it's a VILT or whether it's an e-training, I'll go ahead and say, okay, your next steps is you need to go to your one-on-one with your leader and say one thing that you're going to do differently or whatever. And then I'll follow up with an email to the manager and say, congratulations, Shannon completed her training. She should come to you and talk about this. But if she doesn't, feel free to nudge her. And then I put those next steps reminders again. So there's almost like two, maybe even three people who are now at least aware if they're choosing not to do it. That's another thing altogether. I can't run after everybody, but that... You know, I I feel like I'm getting some incremental uh, uptick by doing it that way. Right. That's a great approach. That follow-up email becomes super critical about alerting managers what their role is and what the next steps are, right? And so I think that that follow-up piece then becomes super important. How many of you are sending follow-up emails to the managers? And how successful are you at that? So share some of your ideas there about the follow-up emails. You can put that into the chat or just speak up. So in one of the cohorts that I'm running, it's for individual contributors. And I was trying to get them, you know, to own their own careers and to have those conversations with the managers. And I think some of them are, but I don't know if they're having them in the way that the manager needs for them to have them to make those conversations fruitful. And so I think follow-up emails would be really, really helpful to say, here's some talking points, as Jennifer just pointed out. So I'm not doing it, but I do think that that's a great step that I'm missing. Okay, great. Anybody else? I think that you really have to get up close and personal with these managers. You have to get their buy-in. And then once you start and, you know, they buy into the idea that you're going to do this training, then you've got to follow up with them and say, so what do you think? It wasn't that bad, was it? It was a lot more fruitful than you thought it would be. And, you know, we made it cooperative with your time limits and so on and so forth. I think you have to have absolute continual dialogue. 
And I, I understand emails, but emails, I don't think does it. You've got to do it in person. Right. And I don't disagree, although it's hard right now. I mean, you can always jump on to a Zoom call. I asked that question because I was wondering where your jump off point would be. And when we think about sending follow-up emails and such, and that's a great idea. I love that idea. I made a note of it because that is all about change management, right? If we are putting out a training program, it's all about change management. You put out a training program and you expect change to happen. Otherwise, why do it? If there's no change expectation, either through behavior or upskilling or reskilling, then why do it? So there's that change management element to it. But what are we not doing up front? Because here's the gap. The gap is that you've got a lot of managers. And if they have to make a choice between productivity and professional development of their team, productivity is going to win every time. So that's the battle. And it's not a bad thing because, like I said in the email, if there's no productivity, if there's no creation of product, there's no revenue, no profit, no money, no us. So there's a linkage there. So now how can we be more empathetic to that as L&D people? So that way we can bring managers to our side or help them bring it to our side. How can we do that better? You almost have to put a sales pitch to the people that is going to be in charge of the training to get their buy-in, to let them know how this is going to make their life easier. I like that. So a sales pitch, right? A communication, because it is sales, isn't it? Yeah. It is sales. I don't know how y'all feel about that. What are your thoughts about that? When we put together a training program, isn't it about some level of sales? I agree. It is about selling. And the other thing that we're trying to do is incorporate learning more in the work. We're competing with work. Learning is as we're seeing it in our organization. So we're trying to find ways that are more integrated. So we're trying to offer more labs. So come with a problem that you're having on a project, and we're going to have project management, PMP certified people there that are going to help you with whatever project problem you're having. So that they leave that session saying, I got work done instead of I didn't get to work on my project because I was at a training. So we're trying to take this lab approach and office hours approach, and we're sprinkling that in with our offerings in addition to standard kind of workshops or webinars. So that's where we are today to try to overcome this. I like that. Yeah. So you're sprinkling in these action learning sets and calling it a lab, I think is really clever because a lot of times we use these learning words. And when we use the learning words, we put off the business because a lot of times I would go to the business and say, let's put together action learning sets. And then they look at me like, well, what's an action learning set? Then I have to explain to them what an action learning set. If I had just set a lab, that would have connected that conversation so much quicker. And I think in a more powerful way. Thank you for that, Megan. Okay, Laura, you're up. Oh, I'm now going to be responding to something that was a while ago. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. It's all about the sales. I mean, for me, I work for government side of things. So it's actually more about the performance. So our training really needs to be promoted with an idea of improving uh, capability and performance without, we have a commercial arm, but it's quite small. I really love the ideas that I think Megan came up with. And we used to have something called Leaders Lab. So Leaders Lab was that idea of, of solving a problem. You would come along with, you know, that sort of managerial problem. 
and you would explain it. And we used a bit of the sort of Nancy Klein time to think idea where you would um, sort of interrogate and keep asking questions to get to the nub of what it is and then think through with the person raising it what sort of solutions there could be, what would work for them in their particular situation. And my role there was as the facilitator, so I could also throw in a bit of theory as well against the other managers bringing in the practical. So just wanted to add on that as well. Yeah, I love that too. I love that too. I think that the more that we can empathize with the business, the better off we are. And words like, you know, leaders lab or problem lab or a discovery lab or any of those sorts of things, I think brings us closer. And that would solve one of the number one issues that we have, which is helping managers understand that we get it. You know, you are feeling a pain point. And we understand that. We don't, as an L&D department or as an L&D person, we don't want to disrupt your life. We don't want to disrupt the workflow. So we understand that. So I think that that's a really great place to start. So then let's tackle the second question. How do we get managers involved in the actual training? So now let's think prior. We've empathized with them. We've helped them understand that we get their pain point. So now, how do we bring them into the process sooner? Are you asking that question for how to get them involved in the training to push the training to their team Mm -hmm. or how to get them involved in the training so that they actually take the training themselves? Because I'm really interested in hearing how you get senior leaders on internal courses. Or is it another? Or actually, was it a blend? Any of the above. For me, if we can get managers involved in the development itself, then the odds of success go up. I totally agree. Absolutely. One thing that I've done in the past is people love stories and get those managers to tell their stories of how they did something, give their scenario, what did they do, or just respond to questions. And if you can do it in video, that's great. If you can do it as, you know, have them facilitate something or just get quotes from them. If it's an e-learning, whatever you can do, the more they're involved and they feel they're a part of the training, the more they're going to encourage people to do it because they have a sense of pride in it. Mm -hmm. I think that also helps with engagement from the actual participants because participants want to do what their managers want them to do, or most people, I should say. So I think when they start hearing stories on how a manager tackled a particular obstacle or problem, it helps them connect like, oh, it's okay to do this or work on this this way. And they also recognize the person. Yes. So it makes it more personal and it's we're not seeing stock photos or people or stock video. Yep. I'm seeing Courtney that's, you know, three doors down from me and I know her and I might be able to go ask her some questions later. Yeah, absolutely. It's that helps with that stickiness, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. I was just going to build on that. I think too, like, you know, you can have this amazing training that, you know, is, is addressing a broader need, but I think it's very important and kind of to what Jason and Courtney are saying is, is tailoring it then even further to that group and that department to really have it speak to their context. Like I work in a, in a university and 
we are one organization with many different cultures and many different types of work. And so I think it has to really be meaningful for that area, even if it's a broader initiative. How is it going to mean something? And then I love what Jason said, you know, part of that is bringing in those stories and just making sure that you are using, for example, cases or examples that are very reflective of the work um, that they do and of their own culture. I think that's great, especially when you talk about tailoring it to the department. And Victoria, I see your comment there about including managers in the in-person sessions. And I think that that's important too. I think what that does is when you invite the managers to tell their stories, then hopefully they talk about your training to other managers and to other departments. And so then we've got this word of mouth going out that training actually involved us. And that's always a good thing, you know, when they're talking about you like that. I also think that you touched on an important point here when you were discussing tailoring it to the departments and addressing the department need. I think that's also about addressing a department culture because you have an organizational culture, but then every department seems to have its own culture. So you've got subcultures, right? And so understanding those subcultures becomes important too. And I think, Jason, when you talk about building those stories and creating those videos, I think people can see their culture reflected in those videos. And I think that that becomes important too when it comes to creating those buy-in. It's ironic, right? Because just last week we had the learn something new session about telling stories. So I I think that this is kind of an interesting connection that we're making here about the importance of stories. And if I could just say, I think it only adds to your credibility because they feel like, wow, you really get us, right? So Right. That's important too. And I think that it's important because it trickles down. Because if you go to the grocery store and you say, If you ask them about their training department, they're going to look at you like you've got three heads. But if you say, you know, the department that puts out the e-learning about the safety videos, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, those guys. Is that really what you want to be known for? I think that there's a connection there about the importance of who you are to the organization, too. And then it connects it with managers. Now, how many of you bring managers into your scoping meetings or kickoff meetings? Do you have a steering committee? Anyone doing anything like that? I have done that. It depends on the department that's doing it. Some have more skin in the game, so they want to be involved and have those conversations. I actually really depends on who my stakeholders are for that project. Okay. Okay. We have um, something that we call a learning advisory board. And it's not just managers, but it's a a variety of people, all different departments and such. And we meet with them quarterly. And so they do two things at those meetings. Tell us and kind of validate learning needs. And then we also talk about how can you help us promote or be involved with these? So sometimes they're kicking off or just talking about it in team meetings. Mm -hmm. How do you communicate the results of that meeting? We have a internal system called Confluence. So we've got the recording of the meeting, the notes and kind of next steps and things that they're going to do. Do you make those public? Yeah. Although I, I don't think anybody ever looks at them outside of our group, but they are open to the organization. Does the organization know they exist? Probably not. And I'm just asking those questions not to lead to any particular conclusion, but just to think about, about transparency. I did want to get back to Stephanie. So Stephanie, your new hire initiatives, video office hours. Can you talk to me about that? We have some tailored training. So some of our new hires 
take a more advanced training and some need additional support to be fully functional in their job. So that's a new program that rolled out in January. We did meetings and shared information and sent emails, but there were still, as always, there are confusion. So we started hosting these office hours that have evolved into inviting particular managers that we received input from like, oh, I did this and it was great. So we extended an invitation and we do have different groups. So we have remote workers and we have on-site workers and they have very different kinds of cultures and needs and approaches. So it's been really successful and we've seen the acceptance rate go up significantly because people see their peers and what they're doing and have an opportunity to ask questions without feeling dumb and get the information that we need them to. So it's been really helpful. I like that idea because what if you combined an open office hours with what we're just talking about as far as like the steering committee or your PACT, right, Megan? So if you combine those two things and said, we have these open office hours to talk to this particular group about what we feel our learning needs are, then maybe that might lead to some bigger initiatives, right? So if you combine those two ideas, this is just me spitballing. I wonder what would come out of that. And I love that idea of office hours anyway. I mean, that's kind of how we all started. It was like 18 months ago. Now it's almost two years. I think the first coffee chat I had had three people on it. But, you know, it was fun. And and sometimes it was two people and sometimes it was, you know, four people. And now look where we are. It's one of those things that kind of builds. So if you go into it expecting, oh, 50 people are going to turn up, then you're going to be disappointed. But, you know, I think it's just important to have that set time and set date when you've got the camera open and you're there to talk for whomever shows up, right? The first one we had, I think we had three people. The one that we just had this past Monday had 50 or more on it. I, You know, it sort of comes and goes, but people get their questions answered and it's just open and you get to see faces and who doesn't need to see some faces right now, right? Because we're all working still separately. So I think it's just a nice social time and it's a really nice opportunity to, to get answers informally. Yeah. Excellent. Victoria here, you're working with subject matter experts. Working with subject matter experts is different than working with managers. What are you doing with the subject experts that help connect your learning to the managers? Are some of the subject matter experts actually used to be in that role? Are they communicating with the managers? What are they doing? Primarily, most of the people that I work with are managers. There's already, I guess, an investment in the learning from that standpoint because they're contributing to the effort anyway. And it also has its own host of challenges just in terms of availability and them being able to provide the information that you need. That was just my comment there. And I agree with that. I think that anytime you can bring managers into the development, the actual development process, I think the more successful you're going to be right? Because then they see their stamp. I used to do, back when I was working in the corporate world and doing live trainings, I used to have my team always put as the first slide, a thank you to everyone who contributed to the training. I don't know who else uses that. That has a twofold purpose. One, it is showing your appreciation for people who dedicated their time and efforts, but also it's showing the people in the audience, oh, that person. Okay, now I'm in. Oh, that person. Oh, okay. Well, that was my manager. Oh, well, I guess I better pay attention. So I think it held a a dual purpose, kind of a sneaky way of getting extra buy-in. Megan, talk to me about your engagement and insight sessions. What are those about? That was actually me. 
It's Maureen. Oh, I'm sorry, Maureen. That's all right. I have a daughter, Megan, so just <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, we've been for the past year and a half, probably been more focused on the overall, like creating learning experiences that puts the kind of the learner at the center of what happens. And in order to do that, hold insight sessions with employees to find out like kind of what is a day in their life? What is that like? And so that as we're creating these experiences, it's definitely in the flow of their work. We use Mural generally as our tool for the brainstorming and moving things. And sometimes there's breakout rooms, sometimes it's everybody all together, but generally also have managers involved in that, in those insight sessions. And so part of their breakout room, maybe we think in terms of like, what is it that they need as managers to support this learning experience? So it also helps with the buy-in because then you create the advocates who participated in the insight sessions. So when they do see kind of something come out, there's more people who say, yeah, you know, it reflects the reality for the people who are working there versus it being something that I don't know, happens to them where it's unrealistic what we're asking of them. It's again, in the flow of their work. I will say though, I mean, a, a key learning over and over, and we don't always get it, is to have the right sponsorship and a strong sponsor who's at the appropriate level of the organization can make all the difference between something succeeding or falling flat on its face because it can undermine if you see at the very top that somebody is bought in and they're reinforcing the message about why this is important, then people tend to say, okay, I'll do that. But if it's just kind of like it's an afterthought or they're maybe lending their name, but you know, they're not really doing anything to help support it. It just could fall flat on its face. It doesn't matter how good it is because the behavior at the top, you know, they're watching their feet. They can see what they're doing or not doing and the importance that they place on it. So good sponsorship and sponsors that were involved. I think it's critical. So not just any sponsorship, right? The right sponsorship. Right. Because sometimes there'd be things at the end of like a huge initiative. It was like suddenly all these people showed up for the celebration of getting across the finish line. It's like, who's that person? <laughs> <laughs> they were never seen until it was right. like, woohoo, success. But if it wasn't successful, they were like, oh, no, no, I'm not getting anywhere near that. So, right. Somebody out there who's really setting an expectation. And then there's a new, we have a new um, CEO in our company. And so there's going to be some changes as part of like big cultural shifts and the whole bit. And, and the emphasis is on simplifications and we're part of the talent management organization. So, I mean, they're very much looking at like the great resignation, but even like, yeah. you know, the workforce of tomorrow, what that's going to look like and how we have to be agile to meet those changes and needs. So having the uh, CEO's buy-in certainly helps tremendously. Yes, it does. And if he's sending the message that says we need to simplify, it needs to be scalable. And when you mentioned before the culture and subculture, that is not going to fly. We are all the same. We all have to be working and rowing in the same direction. None of this like accommodating like and customization to different people. Like <laughs> it just, it's not going to happen. The resources that we have are being shared amongst all of the different divisions in the company. And so we can't do one-offs. Well, that's great. You know, it's great that everybody is rowing in the same direction. And a lot of times when I think about subcultures, it's not necessarily because they're going off on their own. Sometimes it's just the way that they're managing each other. Some are more collaborative than others. Some are more, more teamwork oriented than others. 
So sometimes it helps to take that into consideration. Of course, it takes a lot of extra work. It does take a little bit more bandwidth to be able to do that. But I think that just an awareness of that is helpful. And I agree. Messages from the CEO or from leadership really help, especially if it's directly from them, not you saying CEO said X. They are actually saying it. Or even better, if you get them on video saying it then that becomes even better. But sometimes do you think that the CEO is too far removed? Like how many layers are between the managers that need to impact your training and the CEO? Oh yeah, there's layers. But I mean, I think part of it goes back to like inspect what you expect. I mean, if he says that, you know, this is the direction we're going and if he's regularly asking his direct reports, okay, how is this? You better be sure that the direct reports are asking their direct reports are asking their direct reports. So if you know it's going to come up and it's going to be asked. Now, if he were to just say it and not follow up, yeah, it would be dead in the water. But he's very committed. That's good. And he recognizes culture is huge. Yeah. And so shifting that mindset and that culture, he's great for that. So perfect. We're waiting with bated breath the outcome of like, you know, when he sets kind of like the new strategy and build on what's good and change what isn't. Well, our fingers are crossed for you, Maureen. Erica, what you got? I was just going to say, we have sometimes different levels of sponsorship too, or different like expectations. So we have a, a leadership program that spans the course of eight months. And so, you know, at our very top with our president and our CHRO, we have like overarching sponsorship in terms of commitment to funding and to, you know, the general direction. But then we also have the managers as sponsors as well, and maybe more direct. So for example, this is maybe not blanket training, but it's for the leadership uh, training. It's for new um, leaders and, and high potential. So they are actually the ones nominating these individuals. And so there's a certain level of investment there. And then they attend sort of like the kickoff where, you know, like Jason said, maybe sharing stories and that sort of thing. But then we stay connected over the period of the course. So just saying, you know, these are the things that we were working through. So great opportunity for conversation with your staff member. And then actually at the very end, the um, sort of end project is kind of like a presentation of reflection of what was discussed and learning and how they're going to be continuing to move this forward. We invite the managers or that level of sponsorship there, as well as the top sponsorship to sort of be able to hear from those individuals who've just gone through it. So it helps to make those connections there as well. So it's not just a sign off at the start and then that's kind of the end of it. Good point. Good point. Now let's talk practicality. How can we help managers. We're talking about line managers. And so, and I love what you said there about different levels of sponsorship there, Erica, because I think that that is so important. So now how can we really build that in? So you've got sponsorship from the CXO level, maybe, and then maybe you've got um, sponsorship from the director level, let's just say. Okay. So now we need sponsorship from management level. Now, what can we do to help make that job easier for managers? Because I agree with you, Maureen, it's all about what are the results, where the rubber meets the road are in the results. So how can we help managers get the results that were expected from the learning? How can we help them do that? Is it a tool? Is it a checklist? What is it? So we send something out to them prior to the training happening. Maybe it's a video where it's you and you're talking to the managers and you're saying, this leadership training is coming up and these are the people who are going to be involved in it. 
here's what they are going to learn. Here's how we expect them to apply that learning. And here's what you can do to help us. So maybe it's something as simple like that. So what are some of the tools that we can supply them with to help? So Karen, talk to me about the dashboard. Well, that would depend if you have some way to automate it. Or if you had to do it manually, you would only want to do it at specific times. That way, management could look at it whenever they need to. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Would this be a shared dashboard? What would it look like? It could have charts on it. It could just be a list. Okay. It just depends on what they're expecting. Yeah. It could be something as simple as a tick box, right? Type of dashboard. Okay. So Maureen, I see here, coaching guides aligned with your coaching model included questions that they could ask at each phase. I like that, but how do the managers know those questions are coming their way? When we did that, they knew kind of when their teams were going through this training, that that would be something that they would have in order to help kind of apply and pull through the learning. And we just got to be like, that was part of kind of the overall like kit or program was that coaching guides for the managers were going to be included. And so the managers got the guides before the training? No, like they probably got them after they were attending. They received it as a, okay, your person went, here's the kind of the coaching to follow up. Because there's also a tricky spot if you send it to them before their folks have gone through, there's no context or I don't know, just like the timing of it, it could get lost in the shuffle. Mm -hmm. But it was almost like, okay, see, remember your team went to this and now here is how you can help pull it through. Mm -hmm. But it was in the context of the model that they use, but then the questions to ask were specific to the new behavior we were looking for right? or the change in behavior. So, And I like that idea. And I think that there's something to be said that if we sent it to them ahead of time, we would have to add context. So that's where that you know supplemental video maybe would be helpful. But I think there's something to be said about forewarned is forearmed. That's just my thought. And then Amy make it easy, not a lot of time, provide information and questions that they can use. I think that's key. Easy. You know, give me something easy to build on Maureen's with your coaching program. What if prior to the training, all of the managers received like a little wallet card or something, you know, where it's like, these are the key coaching questions that you can ask whenever you see a person. I don't know how your coaching program goes. I'm just making some assumptions here. So then they had something that, oh, I got this before the training. Now I know what to ask after the training. And it's something super easy that I could carry with me. It's not even a big, something that I have to worry about hauling around. It's something super easy. I don't know. Just thinking along the lines of keeping it easy for them is important. Yeah. To that end, I'm trying to figure out a way that we can help them incorporate these conversations into their performance check-ins. So we're thinking about at the time, what, what's going to be easy for them to be able to pull information down from our LMS to say, you took this, I saw you did these things or you didn't, I want you to keep learning. Thinking about, again, making it easy during those performance conversations, that's kind of where my brain is going. That's a requirement that they have to do. How can we make that easy for them? Right. What other ideas? We want to build the bridge here. I think what holds us up is managers aren't necessarily fully informed as to what the expectation is going to be after the training until after the training occurred. So then they're not prepared and maybe they're a little angry at you. So Laura, what have you got? Just uh, picking up on the points um, I think Megan made around and indeed Maureen around the coaching model. So 
we I run both the internal coaches here, but also coaching training for managers. We have just set up a, a booklet. Yeah, it's not pocket size, it's A4. But uh, <laughs> it has the, the sections because we, we do something called quality conversations, which is basically coaching by stealth that comes in in your one-to-ones. And uh, I've just drawn up a load of questions that you would want to ask somebody around development, around their well-being, particularly at the moment, of course, around um their performance, including uh, dealing with underperformance in a more coaching and supportive way. What we say to managers is have a look through and it's best for you to pick the question that you know would work well in the situation with the person that you're dealing with and that also suits your style. Try a few different ones, see if you get a different response. Uh, Don't keep sticking with the same one, but here's a smorgasbord, you know, a big buffet of questions that you might want to ask. Just pick some and just put them on a sheet of paper and off you go. Right. And you can't get any easier than that, I don't think. You think not, yeah. <laughs> right. So when we think about that pre-training conversation, what does that look like? So right now, I would hazard a guess that when you all have some sort of formal training program rolling out, you're sending an email to the managers, letting them know who is going to be involved and yada, yada. Can we do that better? Because sometimes if I dig back in my past, I remember some of the emails that I sent and they were probably pretty long and hairy. Here's what the training program's all about. Here's what who's going to be involved. Here's what's expected, blah, 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 blah. And it was probably, you know, this long. You know, so can we do better, maybe? And if we did better, would that create buy-in? I don't know. Where I'm struggling is the volume of training that we're doing and the volume of emails my managers are getting. I don't know that I'm going to get their attention or that they're going to see that as value add. Intellectually, like I understand the approach and why it would be great, but practically, I don't know that they see that as being really helpful to them. It's just another thing in their inbox. They've got work to do. Okay. Well, now let's work around that then. What's an alternative solution? So to not inform them because they're busy is not a solution. Well, it's an interesting challenge. Sorry, I'm going to pull that one up because we've taken the rather drastic idea with a new learning management system with online courses, and we're just opening it to anybody. And you can just choose which course you want to be on. You're accountable for your time. You're accountable for doing your work. But if this is an area you want to develop, you can now go on online training. So it's not facilitator-led. It's a course, it's modules and that. Uh, You can do it at any time. You know, your manager will get a training record. They don't need to sign you off anymore. You're all adults here. There you go. You know, you'll just need to be accountable for your time and your manager has a dashboard and see what you can doing. Mm -hmm. Right. I I love that. I'm all about autonomy. But it comes with challenges, doesn't it? It is. It is a different challenge. The challenge is how are you making sure that they will learn, learn, Well, I think the other challenge is how are we communicating to the managers the overall expectation of what we need people to do? Courtney here, an infographic that sits on, yeah, on your LMS site or your intranet or on Teams or something, maybe an infographic that says managers, whenever there's a training coming down the pike, maybe this is what you need to do. Maybe it's very generic. So step one, step two, step three, step four. You know, so that becomes their quasi checklist, maybe that they can access at any time. I think that's a good idea to build on what you're just saying there, Laura. Maybe the companion piece to that is a Web page or for you, Megan, you know, you've got all of these people and everybody's going in 100 different directions as far as training is concerned. And nobody wants to open up another email. I get that. But maybe if they had a home, what's home base? 
So maybe home base is like a, it's a little web page, a little site. Here's the manager's training information. So whenever you have training, here's some place that you could go, watch this video, download this checklist or whatever, just kind of a reminder. And then all you need to do is not send out another email about a specific training program, but maybe on occasion, just send out a ping that says, don't forget this website where you can go to do X, Y, Z. Maybe it's something like that. So if you guys have any other ideas, open to that. But I did put in really quick, I did put in the link again for our, you know, let's get stuff done group. So if you want to sign up for the let's get stuff done group, then there's the link again for you. All right. So we've got a lot of good ideas here about how we can bridge the gap with managers. Any other parting ideas that we can throw in there in our last couple of minutes? Maybe put out a survey or something to managers to ask how they would like to be communicated to. Like, what is it that they need and want? Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't believe I missed that. Yeah, why not ask them? <laughs> the forest through the trees idea, Maureen. Forest through the trees. Send out a survey. I like it. A short one, not something terribly long. Maybe it's got two or three questions on it. Tell them. You know, in the descriptor, it's only three questions and it will literally take you three minutes. So that way they'll answer your survey. Yeah, I love that. That's a great parting idea. Thank you. All right. So to close up shop today, thank you everyone for participating. As always, it was a great conversation. Our next coffee chat is on supporting self-directed learning, which I think is a great companion piece to what we're talking about here today. And then Our next Learn Something New Wednesday will be on February 23rd, and I'll send out the announcement for that. And it's all about creating animated videos. So I'm very excited about that. And that also goes along with the storytelling aspect that we had just this month. So I am looking forward to all of that. And thank you once again for joining me and joining each other and building our community up this Friday. And I hope everybody has great weekend plans. Uh, It's going to be cold here. It's like six outside. So and even if you don't, it's the weekend. It's the weekend. (laughs) That's right. It's the weekend. It doesn't matter where you're spending it. It's still the weekend. Perfect time to hibernate. (laughs) And it's six o'clock here. So I'm off to enjoy mine now. Sorry, America. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Cocktail hour for Laura. Also for Stella, wherever she went. It is. Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us for this week's Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. As expected, everyone had lots of great ideas and thoughts about helping managers support the learning function. The big takeaway? No surprise. Get managers engaged early and often in the development process. That's really what it all boils down to. Not only to get their buy-in, but to help them understand their role in helping learning be sticky and to help their people do the jobs that they need to do. Now, as a reminder, all resources can be found in the show notes below. And while you're there, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future coffee chats. Next up, the coffee chat will tackle on February 4th, supporting self-directed learning. How do we get people to stay engaged and to stay motivated when they are in charge of their own learning journey? 
How do we get them to stay on the path? Now, that's the big question that will be on the table. Now, to learn more about how you can join the Coffee Chat Live, head on over to learningrebels.com and sign on up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.